Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, this week, a special house committee will release a final report after more than a year of investigating the events and causes of the January 6, 2021 attack. Meanwhile, we asked this question, was it a good year for democracy? From our election systems to Supreme Court rulings that impact state laws, how it's all connected. Plus, the role of social media in distributing divisive information. And... Little Harry Styles there. We recap the hits and misses this year in pop music, at least as Atlanta-based culture critic and author Quentin Harrison views it, the top albums of 2022. All that's just ahead, but first this, how about the weather? It is cold, and it's going to get colder. A cold front moving across the country is expected to bring heavy snow to much of the Midwest and Northeast, and some of the coldest temperatures of the year here in the South. Carmen Hernandez is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Peachtree City. We're going to have temps in the teens and 20s with Friday morning having 30 to 40 mile per hour gusts, which will cause our wind chills to go into the single digits and negative values. So definitely watch out for that. And into the weekend, just those cold temperatures are going to be sticking around with the uh, even lower wind chills. Hmm. Bundle up. Hernandez says a mixture of rain and snow is expected. And with current forecasts showing no more than a dusting of snow in Metro Atlanta, possibly on Friday. So sorry, kids, not enough to go sledding. In other news, the Georgia Department of Education wants more funding from state lawmakers to support schools where students are still recovering academically from the pandemic. As we hear from Susanna Capaluto, the department has outlined its priorities ahead of the upcoming legislative session. Amidst the 20 priorities for the Department of Education is more funding for teachers' aides in elementary schools, career coaches in high schools, and more support for students with disabilities. Officials also want to make sure lawmakers fully fund schools in the next year according to the state's formula and that they take into account how poor and rural schools may need more money for transportation and instruction. School safety is also a priority, and the department wants a dedicated funding source that would pay for security in schools. Funding public education is one of the main tasks state lawmakers will have when they start their 40-day session in January. Susanna Capaluto, WABE News. A bill to help rural communities struggling with needs related to the opioid crisis is headed to President Joe Biden's desk. Georgia Democratic Senator John Ossoff co-sponsored the bipartisan Rural Opioid Abuse Prevention Act. Now, the bill will provide funding for small communities to address the causes and impacts of addiction. Ossoff says the goal is to help struggling addicts in Georgia and elsewhere get the help they need to avoid going to jail or even dying to help local communities and rural areas to implement those prevention, treatment, and recovery programs that are uniquely tailored for their local needs. More details on how communities can apply for funding and how much they'll receive are expected soon. And this is news that affects millions of Georgians. Our light bills, Georgia's utility regulators will decide tomorrow how much millions of Georgians will have to pay for electricity. As Emily Jones reports, the Public Service Commission's vote also affects the future of rooftop solar in the state and Georgia Power's profit. 
Georgia Power and the commission's staff agreed last week on electricity rates for the next three years. If the commissioners approve the deal, power bills for a typical customer will go up by about $3.60 a month starting in January, instead of the nearly $15 a month the company asked for. Bigger increases would come in 2024 and 2025. But a few issues remain to be decided, including Georgia Power's profits. Power rates are set to give the company a certain return on equity for shareholders. But the company often earns more. If it earns enough more, it no longer gets to keep all the profit. Instead, it has to give some of it back to ratepayers and spend some of it paying down costs. The commission sets that threshold. Daniel Walsh spoke for the commission staff at a hearing last week. Staffers are recommending a lower limit than Georgia Power wants. This is an opportunity for the commission to offer some relief to customers who still stand to face substantial rate increases over the next year. The commission also has to decide how much Georgia Power will pay for extra energy from rooftop solar panels. This figure can make or break solar financially for people, so it has consequences for the solar industry and the climate. Don Moreland of the Georgia Solar Energy Association addressed the commission last week. It's up to you to decide if Georgians can use their own property to generate their own electricity using their own resources and get a fair compensation. Even after tomorrow, there are more rate hikes on the way to make up for rising natural gas costs and for construction at nuclear plant Vogel. Emily Jones, WABE News. And finally, the this weekend celebration bowl at Mercedes-Benz Stadium crowned a HBCU champion, and it was a team I picked. Shadur Sanders looking, 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 and that's it! Ball game! North Carolina Central ascends! Congratulations to the Eagles of North Carolina Central University. Well deserved. And y'all better learn to listen to me when I make predictions. This is Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE here in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Next month, it'll be nearly two years after this. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. Anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. This week, a special House committee will release a final report after more than a year of investigating the events and causes of the January 6, 2020. 2021 attack. For 18 months, the committee conducted nearly a thousand closed door interviews and had 10 public hearings. Meanwhile, we asked this question What about this year? Was it a good year for democracy, from our election systems to those Supreme Court rulings that actually impact state laws? Believe it, it's all connected. So we're going to talk about it. Joining me now, Ilya Davis, philosophy professor at Morehouse College and the director of New Student and Transition Programs. And Dr. Maurice Hobson is an associate professor of Africana Studies and historian at Georgia State University. Welcome to you both. Always good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Professor Davis, I want to begin with you because I remember right after 
but it happened January 6, 2021, and you joined this program for some special programming that we had, and we took listeners' calls. And, and I'm curious, do you think most folks fully understand what the definition of democracy is all about as it relates to a system of government? Well, I don't wish to be condescending, but thank you for reminding me of that. But I really don't think so. And you've heard me before. I've referred to the fact that this is fundamentally a, a gap in our education system. We do not take out enough initiative and purposeful teaching to have people understand. So I don't blame a general public. I blame the institutions that we rely upon. So schools and other institutions. But having said that, I don't think they do because there's a tendency to assume things about democracy that aren't present. Mm -hmm. And so people love to celebrate a democracy where they get to do what they want to do and how they get to do it, but they don't realize the limitations. So I'd rather focus on democracy includes limits, limits on what I can do and say about you and to you. And that's a part of it. Everyone wants this open ended notion of freedoms. I get to do what I want, how I want. That's not democracy. And democracy is always open. It's moving. It is no static concept. So you hear people talk about democratic experiment, democratic possibilities. Those are useful, but again, they fall on deaf ears when people don't have any foundation. So a foundation is that the government rests with the people. Mm -hmm. It is defined by the people, that the people are to make decisions directly and indirectly about representatives and other types of referenda and other types of things that that invest their hopes and dreams. So at bottom, it's about the public, the polis, um, the group, and how best to maximize the humanity and the freedoms of all equally without subordinating them. Mm. Professor Hobson, what do you think? Folks uh, understanding. I, I, I absolutely agree with uh, what Professor uh, Davis just stated. You know, the, the thing is in democracy, and this goes on all sides of how we understand this, is that when the people speak, sometimes it's not in your best interest. And when it's not in your best interest, you can't go and say, well, I want to do what I want to do. This is Republican. This is Democrat. This is independent. This is Green Party, whomever. The, the thing about it is sometimes the general public, the consensus does not line up with what you want or desire. Mm -hmm. But the people have spoken. And so the thing is, is when you're on the losing side of it, you, sometimes you have to admit that the people have spoken and your, your, your thoughts are not aligned with the mainstream. So after Georgia's runoff election for that final U.S. Senate seat, I, I read a lot of people saying, look, these recent midterm elections, they were considered, quote, a win for democracy, mainly because there were some candidates supported by former President Donald Trump and those still refusing to acknowledge the 2020 presidential election results, those candidates weren't as successful. So is that a positive sign, you think, Professor Hobson? I, I, I don't, I think it was a positive sign in terms of being anti-President Trump. But if we believe that that was a win for democracy, you know, I can sell you oceanfront property in Tennessee. And what I'm saying is that we have voter suppression that's taking place. I mean, you, right here in the state of Georgia, you have five lawsuits that have been waged in terms of voter suppression. Um, hey, did did uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger stand up to former President Trump? Yes, and he did his job. That's commendable. But um, that particular administration in the state right now has also pushed a level of voter suppression. And so we gotta be, we have to be clear about how we engage this kind of conversation. Hmm. Professor Davis, was it a win for democracy, considering what folks see, said, look, you know, the midterm elections, the people had their say. See, there's nothing wrong with our election system. I've been waiting for this, Rose, because you're a music aficionado. So listen to this. There is no political solution to our troubled evolution. The police. <laughs> yeah. Spirits in the material world. That's yeah. right. So the point is, no, um, it's something that happened and it turned out to uh, Dr. Uh, Hobson's point, it turned out for one particular party. So now it's great, great dem democracy. But the problem is, and there's a big error here, democracy cannot flourish when the election is predicated on choosing someone who's not as bad as the other. 
Right? That's a problem. That's a moral problem. It's a political problem. And it's a lack of democratic possibility. Because what you're saying is it's not the merit of the person I voted for. It's the demerits of the person I do not want. And we have to get past it. That's across the country. It's not just here in Georgia, but it's across the country. Stop voting against and vote for. Still, there are elected officials and those vying for a spot in 2024 who are still fueling and and they still resonate with these election deniers. But why does this ideo- ideology still, here we are, two years nearly, why does that still resonate with so many folks with, with a base that still wants to say that the election was stolen? And, and that can be, we will get to that in a moment, that can lead to, that's damaging for 2024. Professor Davis? Oh, indeed. So I think that, we still have to engage this perennial problem of nihilism and not just a disorientation about life, not just a despair about the outcomes of daily living, but displacement. And you've heard this. The idea of being displaced creates deep and profound understandings of nihilism. The idea that my life loses value, it loses meaning because I can't see my way through the present condition. So I think people hold on to these very destructive uh, ideologies because that's one of the last um, bastions of possibility for them that going back to as if they were around then, but going back to certain notions of family and what 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 is good and what is bad and it's divisive and again it undermines the integrity of our social relations because it's fundamentally promoting the individual's ideas of what's good over the group and I wouldn't want the group to suppress the individual's ideas, but the idea that an individual idea could supersede or preclude the group is a problem. So with the former president, he creates an idea, mm-hmm. gets people who are already disoriented and nihilistic to buy into it. They in turn find some possibilities where there were none before, latch on to it, they can't let it go because what's the alternative, Rose? There is no other way for them that they see. There is, but they don't see it. And that is the fundamental ground of nihilism. You can't imagine anything else. Professor Hobson, are you surprised still, two years later, and the folks are still going to die on that hill of the 2020 presidential election was stolen? I'm not surprised. I am disappointed, though. And, um, you know... It's, it's, it's going to be interesting in the next few years because, um, as Professor Davis stated before, you know, politics moves at a rapid pace. Uh, 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 a good Republican candidate or a good Democratic candidate or a good independent candidate, candidate in 1992 is a very different candidate in 2022. Um, and I want you all to think about this. And I'm just throwing this out there. In the 2012 presidential election, between uh, President Barack Obama and his challenger, um, Governor Senator Mitt Romney. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mitt Romney was, of course, Obama won the election, but the way in which they kind of presented Mitt Romney was that Mitt was out, out of touch, Mitt was all these different things. But if you look at it now, like Mitt Romney actually looks like a decent pick in terms of just, you know, really understanding particular things and being very real. And so, we're eight years from that and look at where we are. Mm-hmm. So, and the thing that troubles me with this too is that you have players like um, um, the governor of Florida and the congresswoman uh, in North Georgia who are out here spouting this stuff to where there are many conservatives that see this as just a rhetoric of conversation that they can just say that it has no impact, but then somebody goes and they shoot up schools and they do all these different mm-hmm. things. And then real people on the ground looking to elected officials saying, hey, that's that that becomes the issue. That's my disappointment. How do we get here? And you're talking about Georgia Congresswoman Margie Taylor Greene, Ron DeSantis, obviously in Florida and others who are already elected officials. And they continue to peddle what has been called a, a, a Trumpism or Trumpism rhetoric. I want to play a cut here from Margie Taylor Greene recently. Then January 6th happens. And next thing you know, I organize the whole thing along with Steve Bannon here. And I want to tell you something. If Steve Bannon and I had organized that, we would have won. Not to mention, it would have been armed. Uh, 
that is Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, obviously here of Georgia, speaking to, I believe it was a Young Republicans event. Now, she later said she was just joking and talking about it. If Steve Bannon and I had organized this, we'd have been armed. That's at the core of what you were just talking about, Professor Hobson. And, and, and the thing about it is they can joke and say that, but it makes, it marginalizes further, it further marginalizes Americans who have never felt that they've been protected by this government. Uh, I was in a meeting this morning and someone stated that America has not been a, a, a caring father or mother to particular communities that they've been abusive. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thing about it is when we have issues that take place at Uvalde or what took place in Buffalo or wherever, or all kinds of people and the rhetoric that's being spewed and there is a straight up you know, racist or white supremacist who said, I did this for this particular reason. And then Republicans kind of don't say anything about it because it's not cool. Like, where are people with spines? Where are the men and women with spines who are saying, hey, that, that's not right and we need to get out ahead of this. Uh, I'll say this, um, for, those, for, for conservative folk who kind of sit in the middle, if they presented the right kind of, had, the, had real conversations, they could be a lot more appealing to different people because there are some issues that work within the middle. Mm-hmm. I, I guess what I'm saying is that it doesn't have to always be right and left in a lot of ways. There, there are, there's a lot in between right and left. Professor Davis, reflecting on Marjorie Taylor Greene, that cut, and not just Congresswoman Greene, but others who are still spouting this Trumpism, as we call it, rhetoric, the narratives that, as Professor Hobson talked about, that can lead, that can lead, to folks not fully understanding, even if they are joking or not fully understanding what this elected official is saying, or they may take it and then they, they do something drastic with it. Everyone doesn't, as they say, everyone doesn't comprehend the same, the same way. And that's to my earlier point, taking advantage of people when they feel isolated, left alone, displaced. And so she is harping on the most base of, uh, interest of people, and that is security. And so the idea that you'd be armed, it it references that notion, a form of security. But more importantly, we have a tendency to celebrate historically virtue, social virtues, social goods, but we don't practice them. It's always post facto. So where where's the love and the care? People will quote Martin and other you know individuals from history and love of a beloved community and so forth. But the point is, it must be actualized daily. Uh, it, it, it will ebb and flow. And so the idea that you would promote violence as a political, not just a political, just a person in this country, the promotion of violence is problematic. It polarizes, it destroys the fundamental concepts of virtues that we would like practice. That is care, love, respect, and dignity. And so she doesn't do that. So she fails in that regard. And, but to my earlier point, it's an easy subject. The subject needs something to hold on to, and you gave it to them. And there's a, something else in all of this, too, and that is social media. And, and you know, I, I don't see y'all tweeting up a storm. You know, Professor Mo, we'll talk about sports. Ilya, you talk about your, your, your Raiders, you know. Um, but how big of a role, in a negative way, obviously, social media in terms of disinformation and lies, which are fueled by conspiracy theorists, you know, and some right wingers want to be fair and some others and how that continues to be a threat to our nation's democracy. Social media, because the way people peddle this stuff, these narratives, and you've got a global audience. Professor Hobson. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting and particularly with what's going on on Twitter and how things are being worked out on Twitter and, and, and Facebook and uh, TikTok. I mean, the state of Georgia just banned TikTok on government-issued devices and all kinds of different things. Uh, and, and, and maybe rightfully so, if if there's espionage going on in some different ways. But but this is the thing. You know, social media can be such a problem. Uh, for me, it's become useful. Uh, I have a kind of a little bit of a rule that I only talk about football, fraternity, and family. That That's kind of my rule at this point in time. But the reason it's this way is because um, I, I am a professor at Georgia State. 
and I study race. So everything that's normal to me that I teach is controversial to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's normal to me. But, hey, I, you know, back in 2013, when President, uh, when the U.S. Supreme Court deemed um, um, same-sex marriages, civil unions as constitutional, uh, of course, we live in the Black Belt, and of course, we, in teaching Africana studies and African-American history, there is a conservative bent to aspects of, of the Black community that just don't understand. And what I begin to do is I begin to show them the Loving versus Virginia case, mm-hmm. black, a, a white man, Black woman, who are in love and want to be married. And we, I looked at everything that was said about that particular case. And then I looked at this conversation around civil unions. It was the same conversation. Mm-hmm. And I then began to teach, particularly African-American students. Now do you see why this is a civil rights issue? This is a human rights issue? The thing about it is this, and I, I'm getting at it. A lot of times social media will throw something out there, but won't spend time with the public to teach them how to understand it. Mm-hmm. And I could go into a classroom and I could say that this is wrong and that is wrong. But if I don't, if I don't sit down and really teach them with love and care on how you understand this and see it in its full way, then I have done a disservice as a teacher. So social media, if we're gonna, if it's going to have the kind of influence, we need to put parameters in place to where it has to be something to where to where we provide the wraparound services and care of how we should understand that there are different perspectives on how we get to this perceived uh, land of milk and honey, and that we should be respectful of all aspects of what it works. It may not make all things may not align, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, if there's a particular goal, as long as that goal is together, then yeah. But Professor Davis, to Professor Hobson's point, you also have some other social media platforms that I'm not on. There, there's all these other ones that you know certain folks of certain philosophies they all drive to that and so you can you is there a way to combat this is or is professor Hobson right that we've got to figure out a way to educate people about social media not don't adhere to that as being the truth of all or credible reliable i, I think the platform has confused people i think for years when when we started engaging social media um, on a large scale that there was a tendency to believe it's true because it was on the internet. If you all can remember, if, if you read it, it, it was servicing communities. Even uh, Dr. Hobson and I had to uh, forestall students referencing certain outlets, PDS, um, for information. But I think we've gotten caught up where the assumption that because it's posted, it's true. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people will consciously do this, but because they see it, the point is, wasn't this vetted? Didn't people check it? If people checked it, it must be true. And as we know, it isn't. So we have conspiracy theories and other types of pejorative things being promoted because it's the platform that was assumed to be or to have oversight that really doesn't have oversight. Mm-hmm. So listen, let me think about this. We walk down the street and we heard some of the same conversations on a street corner that we see on social media. We wouldn't believe them. Right. So that's why I'm saying it's the platform. We wouldn't believe that outside. I want to shift for a moment because the Supreme Court of the United States, our nation's highest court, and some will say, look, this is the least democratic branch of government that there is. But this, the high court's role in our nation's democracy, because, look, they can strike down laws in states made by elected officials. When you look back at 2022 and obviously the big year here for obviously the Supreme Court was Roe versus Wade. Tie all this in for our listeners who may not understand why we're now going to connect the Supreme Court of the United States and its role as it relates to a democratic state with small d. Professor Hobson. You know, this is this is this is really important. Um, I mean, for for most of the presidents that have worked to flatten full scale civil and human rights for all American citizens, the ways in which they were really able to implement that were through the U.S. Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and particularly because of the, the 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 laws of what it takes to become a Supreme Court, and then you sit on the court for life. I mean, you either die off or you retire. Um, it, it doesn't allow for, um, I mean, for those who get old and kind of set in their ways, it doesn't allow for new understandings of the law. Mm-hmm. The Constitution was written 
1787, 1788. Uh, of course, uh, um, the United States has progressed and regressed in many ways since that time. And so you have to have a constitution that can be forward thinking, that can shift and pivot and adjust to be more inclusive. But that's not what that document was created for. And so um, the courts, I mean, Roe v. Wade, and, 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 and I'm not taking a shot at the, at the media, at the press, Rose, I think you're one of the best in the game and you're very fair. But sometimes the way in which we even market this stuff in terms of the media, we talk about, you know, Roe v. Wade being anti-abortion, which I think it can be more productive if we refer to it as reproductive, women's reproductive health or reproductive health. Mm -hmm. if it's, it's, that's a, so reproductive health is a civil rights issue. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's hard when I have to explain to my eight-year-old son, uh, because he's here in Roe v. Wade when I'm watching the news and they're talking about abortion, and he's like, Dad, what's abortion? And I was like, well, we're really talking about reproductive health, how, you, how children come into this world you know, how we, how we regulate, you know, conversations around, you know, sexual health and all of these different things. And so um, the Supreme Court and how things work, I mean, it may be the most anti-democratic system because of how it brings new blood into that court. Uh, and that is open for discussion, but that could also be open in Pandora's box because mm -hmm. if you start packing and you start doing these different things, then the next group, Going, they're going to come in and do things to their favor, and then the next group is going. It, it, yeah. it, we have to have some checks and balances in this in this thing. Professor Davis. Yes, I would agree. I agree wholeheartedly. The problem is the Supreme Court seems to function under an antiquated model: equal justice under law. And sometimes we have to maintain the complexity. Sometimes it's unequal. The rights of women is very unique, and so for her to make that choice, that's not. It's not about equality now. The asymmetry goes to her. The, the benefit of the doubt goes to her. And so we've confused these very ambiguous notions with clarity. Equal, we don't know what that is. Justice, we don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're a little clearer about the law. So to claim that the Supreme Court functions under this very fundamental platitude, if you will, is problematic. And to Dr. Hobson's point, they are probably the least democratic. One might even argue non-democratic because it's not... Think about it this way. Every individual who's appointed fundamentally is appointed under the false notion that they are not partisan. That is never true. It is not true. And we know it's not true. Finally, as we wrap up, professors, we, we're not at the, at the time of this broadcast. We don't know what's going to come out of this investigation in terms of the, the findings. But what do you think needs to happen? Should there be some legal judicial accountability for some higher ups, maybe it's former President Donald Trump, for folks to understand just the seriousness of January 6th. Professor Davis. Well, I know that they're making referrals and they did, that they do not, you know, have any judicial responsibilities here. Sure. The Department of Justice must make it clear this mm -hmm. cannot happen anywhere. And the United States of America is the point of interest at this point, but it should not happen. And those who engage in this type of activity must be punished. If, if this message is not the fundamental message sent, it's a failure. It is a fundamental failure. It must be um, articulated and punishment must somehow mm -hmm. come to rest with all parties indirectly and directly involved. All the other individuals that they have not seen, they have video. Continue to prosecute people that you find on these videos and prosecute them. Professor Hobson, I'll give you the last word on that. History by nature is cyclical. There are patterns to it. History is a study of human beings and what they believe. I'm saying all of that because we fight in this country right now because President Abraham Lincoln did not properly deal with an insurrection from 1861 to 1865, and allowed for, I know his goal was to preserve the Union, but he allowed for Southern Redeemers to come back in, reestablish themselves, and to kind of push things forward. I guess what I'm saying is that that had been dealt with properly with uh, punishment, however which way punishment was to be dealt out in terms of going to prison or firing squad or whatever, things would be very different. And so it is absolutely imperative that if this is a nation that believes in the Constitution and laws, that if you break that law and you try to you try to commit harm and issues against any human being, mm -hmm. then you need to be punished according to that law. It's that simple for me. 
Maurice Hobson, an associate professor of Africana Studies and historian at Georgia State University. Ilya Davis, philosophy professor. <laughs> I tell you. Ilya Davis, philosophy professor at the Morehouse College and the director of New Students and Transition Programs. They're part of the big three. Professor Nsinga Burton can join us today, but I got the big two out of the big three. Thank you so much for wonderful conversation. Thank you all. And Professor Davis, your Raiders, I've never seen anything like that. Professor Hobson, I'm sorry about Jackson State. That's all I got. <laughs> we'll take it. Take care, fellas. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Question, what new music did you listen to this year? Or did you discover a new artist? For me, I haven't really discovered anybody. I'm still waiting. But my top albums of 2022, now this is me. Okay, I got Nas, King's Disease 3. I got Christian McBride, Live at the Village Vanguard. I got Mavis Staples and Levon Helm, Carry Me Home, Red Balloon. This was recorded years before uh, Helm passed away. I also got Mary J. Blige. I got Tank and the Bangas. That's just my list. But let's see what's on Atlanta-based music journalist and author of the Record Redux series. Quentin Harrison has to say, been some time. Welcome back. I'm so happy to be back. All right, let, let's get into it. First, I have to know, how do you, what goes into your critiquing an album? Because you mostly do pop, right? I'm all over the place, actually. Okay. I mean, the pop genre is probably one of my favorites, but there really isn't anything that I don't listen to. So what what do you, what do you listen? Do you critique, oh, is this better than the last album? Or what do you, how do you make your, your, your picks here? Well, I have like what I call two core principles that sit at my center. One is the um, academic side of me that likes to analyze the music and, like you said, sort of compare it to what came before mm-hmm. or what's going on in our current situation that this record's coming into. And then the other one is just more instinctive feeling and how okay. the music makes me feel. So I try to combine both sides. So you're not paying attention to streams, you're not paying attention to social media, other, like, because fans are quick to get on social media after an album drops now and they'll give you their critique of, the whole tracks, all the tracks. No, I mean, I, that, that's, I, again, it's kind of a blend of both. Like when I was doing one of the records that's on my list, um, I did tweet about some of my immediate feelings, which is fun because that's the instinctive side. But then I'm also, when I was doing that, I was sort of saying what I was hearing or what I was uh, catching in terms of the references. So it just depends. I think you can do a little bit of both. All right, let's get into it. Here we go. Uh, Harry's House by Harry Styles. Let's just take a little listen. I like Harry. I think he has a lot of flavor, you know? Tell me about this. Um, Harry's great. I think he's just got a really interesting sort of vibe. I think he's, uh, he reminds me of, of a lot of those great artists like Hollow Notes or, you know, um, Prince and Michael Jackson and just a lot of those different acts that sort of could straddle different aesthetics and sounds across their projects. Um, but I would put him more in probably the hollow notes category because mm-hmm. I think his root is more in the pop genre. You He's know. got a little soul. You hear a little well, soul. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I mentioned hollow notes because I uh-huh. figured that'd be a good yeah. compromise um, with that. So, yeah. Now, uh, let's go on to that. This is one of my favorite. It really is <laughs> um, because she is Queen B. Uh, this is your number four pick. It's Renaissance by, of course, Beyonce. All these And this track, Virgo's Groove, I mean, for me, was almost like a throwback. Tina Marie, right? Yeah. It must be magic or yeah. behind the groove. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think the whole record's great. I mean, I think she's, for me, she's been on sort of a creative hot streak since the Four album mm-hmm. back in 2011. I think she really kind of came into herself creatively, and it's just been kind of one sort of successive artistic triumph after the other. But this is probably the first record where I think the 
tone is a little lighter. Um, there's still some substance and some interesting things in there, but I think she just wanted to kind of sort of celebrate, and I think that's good. And with this album, because there were some folks who they like their artists to stay in the same Drake gets a lot of criticism about this, too. They like the, their artists to stay in the same flow with the same type of style. Beyonce doesn't do that. She will, you know, switch it up. And I like that. Yeah, I mean, I think with her operating like as a contemporary rhythm and blues act, I think there is there is a certain level of famili- familiarity with what she does do. But she's able to push at the boundaries of mm-hmm. that. So she can kind of take something that might have she's touched on before but she'll put it on its head and rework it and I think she definitely did that with the Renaissance album moving to number three perhaps a name people won't be as familiar with because I want to be very clear I wasn't but I, I do like it see Duncan's album and this track is called you don't come around And I got to tell you, Quinn, I, I felt a little 70s throwback in here, too. Yeah. Tell me about C. Duncan. Well, I want to give a shout out to Travis Mueller, who's my research editor on the Record Redux series and a very good friend of mine. And he's been raving about his full name is Christopher Duncan, but he goes by C. Duncan. He's a Scottish um, pop musician, classically trained. And um, he said, you got to check out this record, Alluvium. And I said, I did. And it's. I think it's a great combination of like 70s AM pop. You hear the classical composing mm-hmm. elements in his work. And um, it really is a masterpiece. It's beautiful. Lots of great harmonies, especially if you're into the Carpenters. And um, I've been telling everyone about this record and the three previous ones that he's done. So definitely check him out. All right. At number two, uh, and we love her, Carly Rae Jepsen's The Loneliest Time. The track is Joshua Tree. Very interesting. She has a huge following. I absolutely love her. This record was pushing for number one. I just saw her at the Eastern. Uh huh. Um, Great venue, by the way. It was my first. Yeah, I yeah. saw her at the Tabernacle in 2019. But Carly Rae is an amazing songwriter. I think she has a great understanding of production in terms of who she works with. Her references. She and I are the same age. We're both 37, so <laughs> we're both what they call geriatric millennials, supposedly. But <laughs> I, like I well, maybe I shouldn't. I, I was a, a little offended when I heard that term. Yeah, I'm but sorry. I um, but I just think she's got a great sense of um her reference points from the past but she's able to bring things into the present day and uh i can't say enough about her i think she's absolutely phenomenal and before we get to number one which i'm going to let you introduce here because i don't listen to the radio anymore i mean Mm. i i hear songs when i'm cleaning my house i'll turn on uh, some obscure music channel on the eight thousand channels i have on my smart tv or social media might hit me off to something or you know, Daniel, my producer, will say, "Hey, you might like this new artist." Are people do they get ra- these folks getting radio play? Even, th- um, I think obviously some of them do, like Harry and Beyonce, yeah. and then other ones are probably a bit more niche, or they would fall like, um, like I know we still have the college radio formats here, mm-hmm. like alternative. Um, I think the the beauty of now or any time really is that music will find its audience. So even if it isn't on sort of a mainstream outlet, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it won't find someone. I mean, the fact that I'm on here talking about C. Duncan in Atlanta is great, you know, because that may be an artist that some people may not have heard of otherwise. Um, How much of an influence are streams, though, when, when artists can... Because, they, look, they don't have to have this huge production and go on MTV. I don't know if even folks go on MTV anymore or BT or one of those. It used to be when you were dropping an album, you had to do all this. You went, you know, you, you went on the radio stations and you went on MTV and BT and all that. Now you just drop it at midnight and have social media to take it from there. I mean, I think there's different approaches for different people. I mean, I think there are still some th- things to be said for the more traditional approaches. Um, as well as, you know, social media and streaming, you know, I'm still, I stream when I work out and when I travel, but I buy all my records physically because I'm into the ritual of owning my records mm-hmm. and that whole process. Um, so again, it just really depends on what the audience or that particular audience segment is into in terms of how they engage with music. I was not familiar with your number one 
album of the year. I'm going to let you introduce it. Uh, Narina Palo is a British singer, songwriter, musician, and producer. Um, she's worked with the likes of Kylie Minogue. She actually uh, wrote the title track to her 11th album, uh, Aphrodite. And uh, Narina does a little bit of everything, jazz, funk, blues, pop. She's absolutely phenomenal, and her album is called I Don't Know What It Is. We're going to take a listen to this. This is the riddle of it. He lands that bird like a fly on a pond, walks the length of it twice till he knows that he's done. When you think you got it figured out, when you think you know what life's about, there'll be something that you can't explain. I like it. I figured you would. Narina is amazing. I, I was so fortunate this year to get to interview her for Albumism, which is the uh, mu- music magazine outlet mm-hmm. that I write for. She's lovely as a person, just absolutely amazing. And just very just artistically intelligent. And um, I love her, uh, her records. Um, this is her seventh studio album, and she's been recording now 21 years. 21 years? Yeah. Is she... She's big overseas, not big here yet? They kind of tried to crack her here with her second record, Fires, which gave her her biggest hit. Um, This would have been 2005 with uh, Everyone's Gone to War. Um, But she's always kind of been on the periphery. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she had a few major label deals, and then she went independent for the last three projects. And then, like I said, she's worked with people like, Mm -hmm. you know, Kylie Minogue and um, her husband, Andy Chatterley, has worked with different people like uh, Melanie C. of the Spice Girls. But... She just kind of does her own thing, and I, I think that works for her. For someone who's listening and might be wondering, how can I explore and discover new music? What do you suggest? Um, again, it all depends. I like I read the trades, like I, I you know online and and physically. I like Billboard. Um, I'm a part of different music groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to my local record store. Shout out to Decatur CD. <laughs> uh, Warren is one of the greatest record store clerks ever. Um, I talk to him different people and then just other friends and people who are into music and we share things with each other and that's how I get into stuff and I'm just also I'm curious by nature so I'm always wanting to see what's out there musically like I'm already like excited for what's coming next year in 2023 well just give me one artist you are looking forward to that's allegedly going to drop some new music in 2023 oh my god well Kylie Minogue (laughs) has a new album coming out her 16th which is just like oh very exciting. Speaking of Kylie Minogue, and you have been on this journey. You have this record Redux series. We've talked to you before. Yes. I'm excited about your next artist. You know that. And also, I got my tickets to see her in April. Yes. Tell our listeners about it. Well, uh, Janet Jackson will be my uh, official sixth entry into the record Redux series, uh, book series on different women in popular music. I've done uh, books on Carly Simon, recent rock and roll, Hall mm-hmm. of Fame inductee, Madonna. Uh, Donna Summer, the Spice Girls, Kylie Minogue. Uh, so Janet, I've I've loved her since I could remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so this book will trace everything from her very first single, Young Love, in 1982, all the way up through to, at this time, Made for Now, mm-hmm. being her most recent single. And folks should know, when you are chronicling these women and their career, you're focusing on music. You're not focusing on the other their personal lives, although unless it has an impact on the type of music they they put out. But you focus on the discography. You're focusing on let's break down this, the music. It Yeah, it's really, I mean, I'm not saying that I don't tell their story. I just sort of let the music lead mm-hmm. and let the music sort of give voice to their story. And it's about sort of discussing these women's creative agency. And for me, my biggest thing with these with these books has always been about two things. Either if there's a narrative that's going on about these women that I don't think is contributing to their art, mm-hmm. I try to change it. And if there is an absence of that discussion, I try to provide it. Is there a common thread with these artists, Janet, Madonna, the Spice Girls, Donna Summer? Is there a thread, a common thread with these artists that you so far have noticed in terms of their music? Well, outside of me loving them personally, because <laughs> I can only write about something I love. I think all of these women, um, for me, like I said, it's either there's a narrative about them that has been going on that strips them of their creative agency, or there is not one that's happening. Um, it might be like, in the case of someone like, uh, when I did my Madonna book, I felt like a lot of the energy around her was about her celebrity or mm-hmm. different sort of controversies st- she stumbled through versus... Um, her art, even though some of that is self-inflicted, but mm-hmm. we love her anyway. And full disclosure, I wrote the forward for that. Uh, yes. I just want everyone to know. And 
listen, I remember when Madonna came out. Yes. I remember watching American Bandstand. I remember my father saying, who is that? Wow, a lot of spunk there. So watching these are and longevity. Yes. Is key here. I'm a, I'm a, I, I, with any music I listen to, I love catalog artists. Mm-hmm. I mean, but again, qu- quantity doesn't denote quality. There are people who have like small catalogs that have great material. But um, for a book project, longevity is definitely key for me. Is this still a 10 book series? You're not going to add anybody um, to this? I've got, it's a whole roster that's there. Mm-hmm. Like right now, my biggest thing is getting the Janet book out. I re completely revamped and rewrote the Spice Girls book from scratch that mm-hmm. came out last fall. Very proud of that, especially with the 25th anniversary of their second album, Spice World, last mm-hmm. month. And the Kylie book, I'm just adding some of the previous material, or the material that came prior to this new record that's coming mm-hmm. so but there's some surprises i have in store and hopefully people will stick with me and all that so you won't tell me who, who oh i mean I, i've got my eye on gloria stefan joan armor trading banana rama and kim wilde wow so there's some people i, I definitely want to touch on joan definitely deserves oh it. yeah joan thank is you amazing. so much for doing that thank you for having me atlanta-based music journalist and author of their record redux series quentin harrison Good picks, I gotta tell you. I, I, I loved them all. Oh, thank you. I've got a full list of 30. You can find me on Instagram at RetroModernFly for the full list of all 30 in three different categories. Is Nas on there? No, but there's some other surprises that you might like on there. Mayor J. Blige made the list. Good Morning ah, Gorgeous is on there. Good Morning Gorgeous is. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Thank you so much. Happy holidays, Quentin. Thank you. Same to you. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Daniel Razel, LaShawn Hudson, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. Reminder, you can find this program and all the other ones online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE. 